If you remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, we're going to be finishing off Luke 13 this morning, looking at verses 31 through 35. As you're turning there, I just want to say thank you to, to Dawn and to Laura for that beautiful, beautiful piece, uh, Be Thou My Vision. Thank you for ministering to us in that way. God has truly gifted our congregation and um, uh, with a musical ability, and it is just such an asset to us in worship. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. So Luke 13, verses 31 through 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. At that very hour, some Pharisees came, to, came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. If you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Stephanie and I hosted a party at our house yesterday. It was a party for our classical conversations group. Uh, the, the school year is done. We had an end-of-the-year barbecue where we uh, just celebrated the, the students and what they were able to accomplish. And uh, one of the members that was able to, to join us who hadn't been there for the past six months, and some of you can appreciate this, uh, especially the Van Gundy family, um, uh, was a man who had just gotten back from deployment two days before. Uh, he was able to join his family. He hadn't been there for six months. Uh, his name is Garrel. I don't know if you know Garrel. He's one of the chaplains. So um, he, uh, he's become a good friend of ours, uh, them and their family, as we have uh, schooled our children together. But uh, he was describing the trip back, and he says from, from Afghanistan back to Cabot, Arkansas, where he lives, said it took four days, said some of the longest four days of your life, just trying to get back to your family, uh, four days from Afghanistan to, to Arkansas. He had that longing inside of him, you know, the longing to see his family again, uh, longing to give his wife a hug, uh, to take his children up in his arms. You can imagine the feeling. Some of us have to imagine it. Some of us know the feeling. <laughs> I've experienced it recently. Uh, this is a feeling similar to what Jesus is describing here. 
He has a similar longing as he's coming home, so to speak, to Jerusalem. But his longing is actually very different, in a sense, because he knows of the reception that he will receive. Yes, when he enters into Jerusalem, they're saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But as we know, several days later, the crowd quickly turns on him and they yell, Crucify him. So this morning, as we look at the end of chapter 13, we're going to be looking at Jesus' response to Herod and also Jesus' response to Jerusalem and his feelings toward the city. So first of all, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus had courage in, and he had strength in knowing God's will. Jesus knew the will of his father and he refused to be intimidated by Herod. So we have this altercation here between Jesus and the Pharisees. They come to him, and it seems like they're giving him good advice. And uh, they're giving him a fair warning. They say, Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. You need to leave from here. It's not safe for you. Now, it's kind of odd that the Pharisees are coming to Jesus, seeming to wanting to, to help him, uh, to give him advice. It seems like throughout the Gospels, uh, they're coming in opposition to him usually. They're usually not on his side. Um, and they re- expect him to react in some ways with fear. Like, oh no, Herod, this ruler, he is coming after me. He wants to kill me. Uh, he's the one who took the head of John the Baptist. If he killed John the Baptist, maybe he's going to kill me as well. But Jesus is not afraid of Herod. Jesus had the distinct advantage of knowing the Father's will, being in such close relationship with God the Father, being God himself. He knew that Herod was not his problem. He refused to be intimidated by the Pharisees, by Herod, and he tells the Pharisees, you know what, you go tell that fox. And uh, he tells them exactly what Herod needs to hear. And he calls him a fox, because if you know anything about foxes, they're cunning. They're, they're predators, but they're also very easily intimidated. They're, they're weak. They run quickly. And this is how he was describing Herod as well. So why are the Pharisees seeming to be in collusion here with Herod? Well, they have a common enemy. Well, how does the saying go? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Is that how that saying goes? So Herod and, and the Pharisees have the same enemy. It's Jesus. Both of them would like to see Jesus taken out of the picture. Um, Neither of them want to see Jesus uh, gathering followings. And this is what is happening. Jesus does not take the bait here from the Pharisees, and he responds simply by saying that he is going to be going about his work exactly as he always has done, despite what Herod and the Pharisees want to do to him. In fact, Jesus is going to take every advantage Uh, of the situation because he knows very clearly what God's will is. He knows very clearly what his mission on earth is to be. And so he proceeds. He knows that he has nothing to fear. He knew that his end was going to come, but it wasn't going to be by the hand of Herod. It was going to be on the cross in Jerusalem. So Christ perseveres unafraid of the threats that are leveled against him. Now, we are called to be like Christ. Now, we don't have the distinct advantage that he did, 
of knowing specifically the will of God. We don't know, in a sense, when our end is going to come. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But we, like Christ, are called to persevere, being unafraid of the threats that are leveled against us. This is what the early church did. Uh, recently, I've been reading through the book of Acts uh, during my devotional time in the morning. And uh, I came to Acts chapter 6, where we read about the, this incident in the early church, where Peter and John come upon a man, and they heal him. And there's this miracle. The Jewish leaders become upset, and they bring Peter and John in to be questioned. The leaders try to intimidate Peter and John, and they forbid them to speak, because the name that they were speaking about and healing people in was the name of Jesus. And so they wanted to intimidate Peter and John into being quiet and not speaking about this Jesus anymore. They thought he was dead, and they didn't want to hear this name. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, we hear a response from Peter and John. It says, So the leaders called them and charged them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather... Rather than men, you must judge, but we cannot speak of what we have seen, but we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For they were all praising God for what had happened. So in the face of intimidation and threats, Peter and John persevered. Francis Schaeffer persevered in a similar way. You know, Francis Schaeffer, this, this great evangelical Christian that, um, that uh, uh, over the last century, grew up in a household where his parents were not Christians. They wanted Schaeffer to work with his hands in a respectable trade like his father had done, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Schaeffer felt the call to ministry. But his parents had a very, very low view of the ministry. They thought that ministers were cheats, that they were just leeches on society, and the thought of their son going into the ministry was just awful to them. Uh, he uh, only had a high school education, so in order for him to go to seminary, uh, he needed to go to college first. So he felt the call to the ministry, and he realized that he needed to go to college. He felt called to go, but he would go without his parents' help. There was no way for him to pay for this. On his own, he didn't know how he was going to accomplish this. So without knowing where the money was going to come from, he starts packing his bags, and he is going to set out for college. The night before he was to go, his dad told him to be up in time for him uh, to talk to him before he went to work. His, what, his dad went to work early, uh, was out the door by 5.30. So the next morning, Fran woke up, he met his father, and his father said, he said, I do not want a son who is a minister. Schaefer didn't know what to do. He did not know what to do. And he said to his dad, you know what, give me a few minutes. Let me go down to the cellar, spend some time with, in prayer with God, and then I'm going to come back to you. And during that time in the cellar, God revealed himself to, to Francis Schaefer. He, um, uh, he affirmed his calling to the ministry, and he came back and he told his father, you know what, God is calling me to go, and I must. His father was obviously upset, 
And he walked out and slammed the door, but right before the door closed. Francis heard words that he would never forget from his father. And he said, you can go, and I'll pay for the first half year. Later in his life, Francis Schaeffer would say that this experience was very, a very pivotal moment in his life, where he, in the face of opposition, even from his father, would stand firm on the promises of God, knowing God's will for him in his life, and he would persevere. This is what Jesus is calling us to do here. We know not exactly the calling that God has on our lives, and we don't know exactly or can't live as confidently as Jesus did, knowing the future. However, in the face of opposition and intimidation, we are called to stand. Remember the famous words of Martin Luther in his speech at the Diet of Worms when he was asked to recant all of his writings, to recant basically his faith. And he said this, he said, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reasoning, I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures alone I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. And he says, here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. Our calling is to the same. To say, here I stand. To stand firmly on the word of God. To stand firmly on the calling that he has in our lives. The world may try to intimidate us into fear, but we can rest and trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as Jesus closes out his speech here to the Pharisees, he reveals to them and to the crowd around him just how he feels about Jerusalem, this place where he is confidently heading, as it says in, in Luke 9, that he set his face towards Jerusalem. He says here in verses 34 and 35 from our passage this morning, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those how often would I, gather, would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under, his wing, under her wings, but you were not willing. This message uh, or the, this verse never really hit home to me until we ourselves had our own brood uh, of chickens. Uh, we've got uh, six chickens in our, our backyard right now in a, in a little red chicken tractor. We've got five hens and one rooster, um, and um, it's been fun, honestly, having chickens, getting eggs every morning, um, feeding them, watering them, uh, letting them roam free in the yard. It, it's been a joy. Um, like I said, we have five, five hens, and we've got one rooster. Uh, the rooster is very protective of these hens. Um, at first, we were nervous letting them out in the yard when the children were out because we didn't want the rooster attacking the kids. Those spurs on, on the rooster are they're lethal. And the, the way that he treats some of the other hens sometimes, too, it's, it's brutal. He's a, he's a tough guy. Um, but he is very gentle around our kids, which is, we're thankful for. Um, but, uh, but not long ago, we were trying to round up the chickens. And uh, if 
you ever want a good time, you can uh, come over to our house and watch us try to round up the chickens. It's a comedy of errors. It is, uh, it's, it's really funny. But um, uh, I had to, to trap one of the hens and, uh, and, and grab her, and the rooster was still out. And uh, I, had to, I was actually down on my knees, and I had, I had trapped her and was holding her, and I felt this, uh, this bird <laughs> coming from behind me, and it was the rooster trying to get at me. He had, I had boots on, and he, he attacked my boots with his spurs because he was so protective of his hens. Um, so uh, we try to put him back in the chicken tractor first so we can get the, 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 the other hens. But um, I made the mistake one day. There's a, there's a lid on our chicken tractor that allows us to get the eggs out. There's a nesting box, and uh, you lift up the lid, and there's, uh, there's the eggs. So I made the mistake one day of lifting up the, the, the lid, and one of the, the hens was laying. And uh, I thought, oh, that's really cool. I'll just reach out, and I'll touch the hen. Well, man, she about pecked my hand off. You do not touch a hen when she is laying an egg. I tell you that. Um, she uh, usually is very calm, but uh, but she uh, she would not let me touch her when she was laying. She was very protective of her brood, or her brood that would be. Um, this is how Jesus is comparing himself here. He longs to gather Jerusalem underneath his wings like a hen gathers her brood. He has this deep love for Jerusalem, and he longs to gather them to himself. But the response of Jerusalem is not the response that you would expect from little chicks to their mother. You get this cute image of chicks underneath the mother's wings, snuggling up nice and close. But Jesus knew that this was not going to happen in Jerusalem. He says, but you were not willing. Instead, it would be like the chicks turning on the mother, pecking at her, driving her away. This was the response that he would receive in Jerusalem. And even though Jesus knows this, it does not change his love. He knows that Jerusalem is going to reject him, but he does not turn his back on her. Instead, he proceeds. So what is this love like? that Jesus has for Jerusalem. It's the kindness and the compassion of a mother for a child. That though the child would turn his back, she still loves him. Jesus is like the father in the story of the prodigal son. This is a parable that we know well. It gives us a great example, not only of what we talked about last week, uh, the tough message that Jesus gave to us, uh, but also what we looked at, uh, are looking at this week as well. So you know how the story goes. This, the, the man has two sons, and the younger son comes to the father, and he rejects the father. And he asks for his inheritance while the father is still alive. Basically what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. And I want what is coming to me, and I want it now. I don't care about a relationship with you. I just want what you are going to give to me. And the father, because of his great love, he gives what the son asks for. And the son goes off and he wastes his inheritance in riotous living. His money, it runs out. There's a famine in the land. He's broke. He's got no job. He's got no place to live, no way to get food. And the only job that he can secure is slopping pigs. For a Jew to be slopping pigs is just, you cannot get much lower than that. 
Not only is he slopping the pigs, but he is realizing that he would long to eat what he's feeding these pigs right now. And at that point, a light bulb goes on in his mind. He realizes that the servants in his father's house are much better off than he is right now. What he does is he examines himself. What we talked about last week. He realizes what he has done. He comes to a point of repentance, and he longs for home. In his humility, he's going to go tell his father that he would no longer want to be his son. He simply wants to be. He simply wants to be a servant, a servant in the house. And so he heads home. But little does the son know that this whole time the father has been waiting for him. He's been longing for his son to come home. In fact, he's been keeping watch for him on the horizon. And as soon as he sees his son off in the distance, the father runs to him. Nothing against my dad, but the thought of him running actually is very comical. And it is very comical for the thought of a patriarch here in the Near East to run. It's just not something that dignified men did. But this is what the father does. He runs to his son. He throws his arms around him. He hugs him. And the son uses the line that he's prepared this whole time. He says, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. All I want to be is a servant in your house. And how does the dad respond? Nonsense. No way. You're my son. He throws, he throws this massive party. He kills the fattened calf because the son who was lost is now found. This is the love that Jesus has for Jerusalem. Like the prodigal son, Jerusalem was about to reject him like they had done all the prophets that came before. Yesterday, they were going to give him this grand entrance parade as he comes into the city. But they were going to quickly turn their back on him and call for his death. They're going to take him outside the city. They were going to nail him to a cross, watching him as he suffered and died. And Jesus knew this, but his love for them did not change. You know, this is the love that God has for us in Christ as well. And surely we aren't as bad as Jerusalem, right? And it's not like we actually killed Jesus, so we're actually on a better footing, right? I know that my sin caused his death, but these people actually shouted for him to be crucified. They saw it happen. But we know that we're just as bad in the ways that we reject Christ. We reject Him in the ways that we live our lives. If we live in such a way that does not acknowledge Christ, we are rejecting Him. If we are ashamed to speak His name or to reveal Him to others, if we're ashamed to show our love for Christ, then we are rejecting Him. And I've used this example before. But if I were to introduce my wife to you guys, and, or if I was ashamed to introduce you to her, to saying, oh yeah, this is my wife's life, not a big deal. What would that show about my love to her? It would be that I would be ashamed of her. If we are ashamed of introducing others to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is a rejection 
of Him. The gospel message is this, that despite our rejection of Jesus, despite our being ashamed of Him, His love for us remains. He didn't return rejection for rejection. Instead, He went to Jerusalem, He endured the cross, He took on our sin, He took on our shame, and He nailed it to the cross. This great love He poured out on all those who comes to Him in faith. To those who have come to Him to confess their sins, to rest upon Christ alone for salvation. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, we are accepted into His family. Not as servants, but as sons. He throws His arms around us and He embraces us. We are His children. So as we think about this great love that has been shown for us in Christ, how does this affect our lives? So what? God loves us. The first thing we need to know is to accept this love that we have in Christ. To know that Christ longs to gather us under His wings. Sometimes one of the hardest things for us is to come to grips with the fact that we are loved. So I want to remind you this morning, Trinity, Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are loved by God. And we are called to love one another in the same manner. Because we have this great love of Christ that's been poured out on us, we have the ability and the calling to love one another in the same manner. John 15, verse 12, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. People will reject you. They rejected Christ. You cannot control people's reactions. That's not the point. The point is to be faithful to the calling that God has placed on our lives, to love as He has loved us. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our loving Father in heaven, Lord, when we think of what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that knowing what was going to happen to him, he displayed his great love for Jerusalem and for the world by enduring the cross, suffering the shame, and dying for us. Lord, even knowing that Jerusalem would reject him, he set his face towards Jerusalem and he showed great love for that city. And you have shown great love for us as well. I pray that we would stand firm in the face of persecution, in the face of rejection, in the face of fear, knowing that you have called us to live lives of love. And I pray that we would come to grips with our own status before you, that we are greatly loved through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that because of that, we would in turn love one another. Lord, this is not easy, and I pray that you would help us. That as we sing this next song, that you would abide with us. Because without your abiding presence, we cannot do this. We thank you, and we praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.